Hello and welcome to the Ghosts of Lincoln podcast. I'm your host, Chris Hatch, and I'd like to tell you all a scary story about where I'm from. Hey, the listener, I want you to do something for me. I want you to think of home. Not the word, the place. Hell, you can close your eyes if you need to. If it won't get you busted for sneak listening to this first podcast at the office. Or have people at the gym thinking that this last tiny bit of cardio finally caused you to kick the bucket. Home. What does it mean to you? What do you think of when you hear the word? It could be a singular place. Or maybe you've had lots of homes. Or just one. Maybe you've lived all over, and this one word conjures up all kinds of plurals in your own imagination. Whatever thesaurus page you land on, wherever you find yourself mentally envisioning, just know that for me, that place is and always was Lincoln, Nebraska. If you've never been to Lincoln, I can assure you, you've still been to Lincoln. It's my hometown, but trust me, It's yours too. What do I mean by that? It's a mid-sized town in the middle of the country. It's everywhere, located smack dab in the middle of nowhere. A town of 285,000 people, seven or eight high schools, six movie theaters, and one football team that stops just short of superseding all religion and law and order on Saturdays in the fall. And, as we will discuss in this podcast, It's also got its fair share of ghosts. It's a prairie town with city streets and the place that raised me and will raise my son and daughter. A place with pioneer blood pumping through buffalo veins and a place with a beautiful stained glass window of refugees that have recently moved to our city. And that's the place I want to tell you a little bit about. A place that I love from the overpriced and underseasoned Mexican drive through lanes of Amigos which, get the cheesy meal, it's worth all seven seventy nine for a tortilla and some cheese slapped together, to the glorious and definitively phallic state capitol building that is featured in this podcast's hashtag new profile pick. I will tell you about Lincoln, make no mistake, and I will tell you about the dead people that are here too. I'll tell you about ghosts and ghouls, legends and spook stories, Gather around now that it's late and we've got a few drinks in us. And let's talk about what she said, that he said, that she saw, and why. The guide for this little adventure, as the book title would suggest, is one Alan Boy from Lincoln himself. Alan took it upon himself to publish the seminal text on our local hauntings, The Guide to the Ghosts of Lincoln. I'm going to be using that as my main text my main roadmap through this little trail that will blaze through my hometown. And each week, with the help of Alan and the book, and a little bit of research, not much, just pretty much whatever I can Google up, and from you, the listener, we'll go on a journey together and try to tell one of these stories. I won't tell you what to believe, frankly, because I have no idea what the hell I believe. But what I will tell you is this, nothing makes you feel more alive than being scared half to death. 
So let's throw another log on our digital campfire, huddle up, and somebody pass me the damn s'mores. It's midnight now, and I'm going to tell you about Clara Mills. This is a What the Husk podcast production, and this is the Ghosts of Lincoln podcast, episode one. Nebraska Wesleyan. It's a small, private liberal arts school that's tucked away in a quiet neighborhood in northeast Lincoln. All of that is essentially just a fancy way to say that it's expensive AF. We're starting there in our first episode, not only because this place is home to the ill-fated story of one Clara Urania Mills, but also because Nebraska Wesleyan holds a special place in my heart. You see, once on that very campus, not too far away from where Clara Mills' ghost is rumored to haunt, I saw an apparition of my own. My smoke show of a wife. Yes, I said it. She was there, across the crowded room at the townhouse village. The room was packed with people on that steamy, humid summer night, but she grabbed my gaze, pulling like a gentle undertow taking me out to sea, 1,500 miles from the nearest ocean. I walked over to her, the room suddenly tilting on its axis, my course about to dramatically alter, and I said to her, Uh, you gonna finish that drink? The ghost of my dignity has been roaming the halls of that on-campus housing unit ever since. But look, let's forget 2007 Chris Hatch. Forget his shorts that were probably dickies and gray and probably febrezed. Forget the fact that he may or may not have been wearing a flat bill hat backwards that he had meticulously matched to the color of his one good polo shirt. There are two dates that I want to talk to you about that matter more to our story today. April 12th, 1940, and October 3rd, 1963. So let's get back to Clara Mills, or more specifically, back to her ghost. From everything I can find in my extensive research on Clara, meaning what I could Google on my lunch break while I'm at the office, she was born on or around December of 1872 in a town called Memphis, Missouri a small town in the northeastern corner of the state of Missouri that's just a fireworks stand and an adult film store away from the Iowa border. From what I can tell, Clara is probably the second most famous person to come from this version of Memphis, behind only the girl who played the daughter of Xena, Warrior Princess, on TV. Hashtag Google it. On the 1940 United States Census, Clara has her estimated birth year significantly later than what we previously knew with an approximate listing of 1878. I'm unsure if this is due to the loose record keepings of the time, the fact that Memphis, Missouri was in fact some kind of a portal to another time warp style dimension that imbued her with powers that would later turn her into a ghost, or most likely that she saw an opportunity to shave a few years off the old D.O.B. and didn't have to worry about Mark Zuckerberg blowing her cover by sending out those annoying push notifications to all of her friends with her age prominently displayed. Whatever the case, we do know that as she grew older, she must have at some point become interested in becoming a teacher. Because on that same census, 
it shows that she completed second year of college, which must have been enough to get her a job teaching music at Wesleyan, and as some reports would show, eventually working her way up to become the head of the music department. She taught at Wesleyan beginning in 1912, with a focus on piano and ear training. On that same census in 1940, Clara was listed as a single woman, living with her younger sister in a house that would be right around 37th and Baldwin Street today, the mean streets of Lincoln, Nebraska. This place was a mere 1.7 miles from Wesleyan's campus. And for those of you keeping track like I definitely am, also a mere 1.0 miles away from the closest Amigos drive through But let's talk April 12th, 1940. This is the last day of Clara Mills' life. The 60-something professor heads into her office on campus, located in the C.C. White Building. A successful and well-regarded teacher, presumably just looking to train some ears, and she's never seen alive again. Is she found shortly after entering the building at 9 a.m. by a student slumped over her desk? Or did Clara's lifeless body remain alone in that very office, snowed in by an early spring blizzard that may have blown into town that day, and she was then found the following Monday? The details? Well, those are as hazy as the fading sounds of a final piano string struck. Here's what we know. The record for the coldest day on April 11th, one day before Clara's death, is 20 degrees Fahrenheit. The year of this miserably cold early spring day that set the record? 1940. So that would totally jibe with the 12th being freezing cold and blustery. The kind of wind-whipped day that might get school canceled. The kind of wind-burned, coat-clutchingly cold day that would allow for a body to be sequestered away by the cruelties of Midwestern weather, giving one last icy middle finger to the oncoming spring months. Regardless of who found her and what day, we know that after April 12, 1940, Clara Mills was never again seen at Nebraska Wesleyan's campus until October 3, 1963. You see, that's when Colleen Butterbaugh sent running on an errand for her boss, as we peons are wont to do, entered into that same office building on the same campus at 8.50 a.m. She was looking for a visiting professor. What she found was something entirely different. You know that moment when creeping dread doesn't just creep? It lurches? It reflexes like a gag on your body, cinching up your skin a little too tight? like it's a black corset being yanked by cold hands. It jolts up from somewhere in your small intestines, crash landing in and around that 11.43 p.m. snack you know you shouldn't have indulged in that suddenly feels like it's the size of a small house cat. That was Colleen, because she found herself in a room that was suddenly eerily quiet. No, not quiet. Soundless. A vacuum that quickly felt entirely wrong. The air tasted off. A smell wormed its way into her nostrils that was both stale and strong. A gaseous, off-kilter smell. Colleen's gaze landed on another woman in the office. She was tall and striking. Her dark hair pulled up and her slender frame reaching up into a cabinet. 
she didn't see so much as she felt another presence. Her heartbeat hammering like some kind of echolocation device, she knew, unsure of how precisely, that there was a man there too. Her wide-eyed gaze lifted, unbidden to the window of the office. As she looked out, the view was not the one she was accustomed to. It was something different. Some time different. An age long past, or one she had yet to see. She wasn't sure. But it was not Nebraska Wesleyan. Not on that day. Not from 1963. It was the prairie outside, wild and untamed. The plains of decades before with no streets and certainly no sorority hall to be seen across the yard. She was looking at a dead woman from a dead time and feeling every hair on the nape of her neck stand at an attention in full-on terror salute. She turned on her heels and ran going directly to the Dean, her skin nearly translucent with fear. They say Colleen was never quite the same after that. She wore that moment, had it inked somewhere in the recesses of her brain, in the kind of indelible print that can only be lessened by sunshine and time. Eventually, she left her job and moved to Colorado, then California. If Colleen was trying to get away from Wesleyan and whatever moment she had shared with Clara Mills, apparently she needed miles and mountains to do it. While Colleen Butterbaugh's time at Nebraska Wesleyan drew to a close, it was certainly not the last time that the campus heard from Clara Mills. Eventually, in June of 1973, the C.C. White Building was demolished to make room for some on-campus renovations. But students from all over campus reported seeing Clara in windows or hearing her, even culminating in several investigations by known paranormal gurus and psychic mediums. Clara was alleged to be playing music at odd hours, with many people reporting piano music at all times of day or night, with no keyboardist in sight. She would turn lights on or off, mess with recording equipment for music students. Essentially, Clara Mills was that one coworker who you always just want to leave you the fuck alone. Which brings us to our next segment called The Ghost Roast. That's right. I'm talking about Clara Mills. Like, why couldn't she just go away? We all have that one coworker, right? The guy who was a little too excited to lean over your cubicle and ask, Hey bro, what'd you think about the game last night? Even though there wasn't a damn game. The guy or the girl who walks down the aisle shaking that stupid little shaker of whatever wheatgrass, nasty lemongrass smoothie thing that they're drinking that day, loudly grunting, Oh man, about how tough CrossFit was this morning even though no one gives a damn or is asking them about their stupid CrossFit class. The one who giggles so hard at their own jokes while they're on a phone call that you wonder if they're actually providing their own laugh track for some kind of a terrible sitcom that's being filmed without your knowledge. You just want them to leave you alone. That's Clara. Clara, go somewhere else. Find a new spot to haunt for a little while. 
Claire is basically Brad from Two Cubes Over, asking you how many calls you've taken for the day, because he just took number 19, and he and the boss are going golfing later when he's done writing some fan fiction for his sci-fi blog. <laughs> Clara, it's time to move on. And this has been another edition of The Ghost Roast. Boom, ghosted. There's really not a good way to transition from a stupid bunch of jokes about terrible co-workers that I've had to getting back to the story of Clara Mills. Uh, what I'd like to do is invite anyone who's listening to feel free to leave some comments. Uh, shoot me a message. You can leave a post on the Facebook page that I just started, the Ghosts of Lincoln page. You can tweet at the Ghosts of Lincoln uh, on Twitter and let me know. Have you seen Clara? Was she Brad from Two Cubes Down, or was she nice? Was it terrifying? Was she playing chopsticks on the piano or something dope? Maybe she was doing the theme from Serial. Uh, ask her if she can play a theme for this podcast so I stop having to download things off of YouTube. The bottom line is, like all good ghost stories, this tale isn't some rigid paint-by-numbers piece. There's all kinds of things that we don't know that we're still waiting to find out. Who was the male presence in the room? How long was Clara dead before her body was discovered? How did she actually die? Was she 60? Was she 67? I'm gonna say she's 60. Strictly because as a dude with entirely gray hair at age 32, I don't want anybody judging me if I come back to haunt some motherfuckers. In a way, I feel like Clara probably wouldn't want this story to have all the answers. It's like a good piece of music. Sure, there are some parts that we know, parts that are familiar and in every song, but with this story, with this ghost, Clara Mills' story was full of improvisation, the likes of which our ghost lady herself would probably have been proud. It certainly had the A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, but the combination of notes the tempo of the song, that is something only she knows, something only her fingers seem to play, and something that connects with people year after year. Clara was training our ears after all, and it seems like we've heard her. In a way, Clara's ghost is her final song. Thank you for listening. This has been the Ghosts of Lincoln podcast. <laughs>